Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 11 this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 14 down through 28, but in a moment I'm going to read to you verses 14 through 23. So go ahead and find that in your copy of the Bible, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the seat before you down the book rack. Pick that Bible up and find the Gospel of Luke with us. The Gospel of Luke is really easy to find. It's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then the Gospel of John, Luke 11, 14 through 23. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, that Bible that's in the seat before you, take that Bible home with you, read it, learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke uh, 11, 14 through 23, we're going to read together in just a moment. If you're new to our church, uh, we like to take books of the Bible like the Gospel of Luke and just walk straight through these books of the Bible uh, because we believe that God speaks to us loud and clear through his word. And so we want to be a people who study his word well and respond to his word in obedience. Luke 11, uh, 14 through through 23. We'll read that together in just a moment. So I don't, I don't know, maybe in this room, maybe some of you experienced this before. I hope you haven't experienced this, but I'm sure in a church our size, someone around here has probably experienced this before, but I hope none of you have ever been the victim of an armed robbery. I can't imagine what that might be like. The fear, the anxiety, uh, the vulnerability, that, that would be a horrible experience. And if you've gone through that, man, my heart goes out to you. That really sounds like it would be terrible. Um, I, I know that if I were the victim, victim of an armed robbery. I, I don't think it would go well for me. I mean, I, I don't carry, uh, so maybe I should carry, but I feel like I'd be kind of like Barney Fife if I did, so I just don't. And, um, and so I don't carry. I'm, I'm five foot six, 140 pounds. I, 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 I don't know, you know, martial arts or anything. So I feel like, you know, I, I can't defend myself and I, I'm okay with that. I still feel like a pretty good man, but I just don't... I, you, you get what I'm saying. And so, so, so if I were the victim of an armed robbery, it's just, please take everything I got, just leave me alone. And that would probably be the end of it, right? Um, so I don't know how you feel about that kind of experience, but I, I read a story this past week that I thought was fascinating about uh, a man who was attempting to commit an armed robbery. I don't know if he was down on his luck or what happened or what possessed him to walk into a nail salon uh, to rob the place, but that's exactly what he did. He walked into a nail salon to rob the place. And I don't know, maybe Maybe you saw the story online, uh, but he hid his gun in a bag and walked in and he immediately started shouting, get down on the ground, get down on the ground, give me your money, give me your money. And all those things that you would expect a, a robber to scream when he's committing an armed robbery. And as he was screaming those things, get down, give me your money. Do you know what people did? Nothing. 
was wild. Like they did nothing. They completely ignored him. In fact, I've got a picture. He's in there and everybody's just looking kind of funny. Like he, and in fact, in fact, he pointed his gun or whatever it was in the bag, probably wasn't a gun at all. And, and said, give me your money now. And she said, I ain't got none. And she walked right out the store, like no big deal. And so, so as he was, he was in there trying to commit this armed robbery, but everybody was ignoring him. Nobody was doing anything. And so about after 15 minutes, he just left in frustration because nobody would give him any money. I mean, that talk about a fail. That's the worst robbery ever, right? I'll tell you that to tell you that here you are in this room and you know this. You live in a world where by and large, Jesus is ignored. I don't have to tell you that. That's not new information for you. But maybe this might surprise you just a bit that even as a follower of Jesus, you and I both have the tendency to ignore Jesus. And I just wanna remind you this morning from this passage that Jesus is the King that you cannot ignore. I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can try to, you can want to, you can wish to, but you just can't. And this world, uh, they can ignore Jesus. This world can outright reject Jesus, but there will come a day that everyone will stand before the King of Kings and, and be subject to his judgment. You cannot ignore the King. Now, this passage is why this is so important. This passage is a good reminder of that. It's a good reminder that this world cannot ignore the King. And it's a good reminder that you can't either. It's a good reminder that, that, that daily you have to make the decision to put your eyes on the King and live for him. And so if you're that kind of person like I am, and you have a tendency from time to time uh, to ignore the work of Jesus in your life and what he wants to accomplish, what he's saying to you, I think this passage is gonna be helpful. Now, what's so interesting about this passage is that this passage gets real heavy into the idea of spiritual warfare, which we're gonna talk about in just a moment. And this passage also contains some words that may be the strangest words that Jesus ever said. Well, we'll look at those, but I think it's gonna be helpful. And what I wanna show you from this passage, I just wanna show you three truths that I think are gonna help you. Three truths that are gonna help you not to ignore the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what we'll do this morning is I'm just gonna walk you through the text and explain it along the way. And then as we end up our explanation, I'm gonna give you some application, these truths that I think are gonna help you. Take your Bible, Luke chapter 11, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Luke 11, beginning in verse 14, this is what the Bible says. Now, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons and others as a test were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Let's stop right there and pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you, Jesus, that you are our King and you are our King that we cannot ignore. 
You are large, you are magnificent, you are powerful, and you are worthy of our attention this morning. So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the glory of your Son this morning. I pray we will behold your majesty, Jesus, and today we would make decisions to align ourselves with your kingdom. So have your way now, I ask, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So here we are in Luke chapter 11, and I know you've been around most of you for a while now, and so, so you know exactly where we are in Luke's gospel. We're in this section of Luke's gospel uh, where, where Bible scholars call this the travel narrative, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The first part of the gospel of Luke, Jesus ministers in, in Galilee, that, that northern section of Judea, and now Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem where he will be crucified and ultimately will rise from the dead. And so as Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. We're going to see lots of things. We're going to see more parables, more miracles, but we're also going to see more opposition uh, that Jesus's critics are going to become louder and louder. And, and, and Jesus is going to be very pointed in, in how he responds to his critics, how he responds to those who reject him. And that's the case in Luke chapter 11. Last week, we looked at Lord's Prayer, which you're very familiar with, but now we're in this section in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus has these critics that come against him and Jesus is going to say some very pointed words to them. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to see these words and they are interesting words. Now, here we are in these verses and, and you see what happens. It's another miracle. Jesus performs all of these miracles, right? He cast out yet another demon. This is not new to us. We've seen Jesus cast out demons over and over again in the gospel of Luke. Not only have we seen Jesus cast out demons, we've also seen his disciples do the same, that he empowered empowers them uh, to do the same that he has done. I mean, it's, it's miraculous. And when Jesus does this miracle, when he casts this demon out of a man and a man who is mute because of the demon is able to speak again, people are amazed, but there is immediate opposition. And so, so this passage, the focus isn't so much on the miracle as it is the opposition to the miracle and the questioning and, and Jesus's response to the opposition. Now, again, here we are in another section in Luke's gospel where we're dealing with the demonic. And so let's just talk through this quickly. We've, we've talked about this before, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. I want you to know this, and I know you know this, but just as a way of reminder, there are two kingdoms, not three, not four, not five, not seven, not 10, two. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. That's it. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Jesus comes bringing forth the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world is influenced by the enemy himself, Satan. We believe, right? We believe there really is a God. We also believe at the same time, there really is a Satan. And we believe there really are demonic forces. And, and listen, I, I, I know that when we talk about demons and, 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 and how that stuff works, this is part of the unseen realm. You don't see demons with your own eyes. You just don't. But that doesn't mean because you don't see them that they're not at work. In fact, while you might not see demons with your own eyes, you do see the effects of the demonic. You see the darkness 
darkness that pervades this world. And, and you would agree with what the scripture says in places like 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where Paul says that the enemy, Satan, he is the God of this world, not meaning that he's divine in the way that God is divine at all, but this idea that, that he is the ruler, if you will, of this world. Or you think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, uh, that, that, that this world is under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. First John, uh, John the gospel says that, that, that Satan is the ruler of this world. And so we talk about this demonic, we're not talking about some made up thing. No, this is a spiritual reality. Here's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. Now we also believe that there is such a thing as demonic possession. How does that work? I have no idea, right? But, but, but you see that in the New Testament that you see people possessed or demonized, if you will, uh, by the enemy. Does that kind of stuff happen today? Absolutely. How does it happen? I have no idea, right? But, but I, I'm convinced that it does. I'm convinced that there are demonic forces that are still at work in this world today, right? Here's what I'm also convinced, that it is possible for someone who is not a follower of Jesus to be so deep and dark in their sin, to be so closed to the things of God that they literally open up their lives uh, to, to, to the enemy and to the demonic forces. I believe that happens. And I also believe that as a follower of Jesus, you are possessed by the spirit of God. Jesus Christ lives within you. So that means therefore that you cannot be possessed by the demonic because Christ has taken up residence in your life. But I also believe that while you cannot be possessed by the demonic, oh my friend, Satan, 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter tells us, is like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, Paul tells us uh, that, that, that when we get in our sin-like anger, we open up a foothold for Satan. And so while we might not be able to be demonically possessed, it is possible for you as a Christian to allow, as you give into your own sin, the enemy to influence you. These are all scriptural and spiritual realities. Now, 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 now watch this. I think this is interesting too. Just bear with me for just a moment. It's interesting to me that when you read through the Bible, you don't see much language about demonic possession in the Old Testament. And when you get into the New Testament, once you get past the four gospels and the book of Acts, you don't read much more about demonic possession. You just don't. It seems like that, that we find most uh, 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 about demonic possession in the gospels and in the early parts of the book of Acts. And then after that, it seems like scripture is relatively silent about this idea of demonic possession. Why is that? I don't have all the answers, but I think this might be what's going on. That the gospel writers want us to see with our own eyes. They want us to hear with our own ears as we read through the gospels. They want us to know that when Jesus was on this earth, he was at war with the enemy. And I think the gospel writers want us to vividly see this war that was taking place as the incarnate son of God walked this earth, what he was up against. That, and this war would end decisively in the victory of Christ as he dies on the cross and rises again. All that to say, when you read through the gospels, you do see the demonic. And you know in this world that there still is a, 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 an enemy who, who influences and wills much power over, over people whose eyes are closed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's reality. You, you everybody follow me? You still awake? That was fun, wasn't it? Well, let's go deeper into the passage. Look what happens. So, so Jesus cast out this demon and look what happens. But some of them said, verse 15, 
He drives out demons by Beelzebul. Now, as you, you read this scripture, probably the question that, that came to your mind was, who in the world is Beelzebul? Well, we really don't have a good idea as to, to, to why Satan is referred to as Beelzebul. This, this name, Beelzebul, it has its roots in the name Baal. You remember the name Baal, don't you? That was the chief Canaanite god in the Old Testament. And so this Beelzebul, that name, has its roots in that god. Baal. Beelzebul, the name means something like Lord of the house. And so it's this idea of, of this, this head demon, if you will, that has charge over many. And, and that's who Satan is, if you think about it. And, and, and so, so when you come to the New Testament and you read Beelzebul, uh, the, the, the people are equating Satan with Beelzebul. Now, now but here's the, the issue. Jesus has just performed a miracle. And they look and they say, I know he says he's of God. I know he says he's the Messiah and and people believe that, but we don't. This dude's evil. This Jesus, he is of the enemy. This Jesus, he is a demon. This Jesus, he is of Satan. That's the accusation. And it was absolutely antagonistic. People setting themselves up against Jesus. He is not of God. He is of the enemy. But not only that, you come and look at what it says. He drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, and others as a sign or as a test were demanding of him a sign from heaven. In other words, you have people there like, yeah, I hear you, you're saying he's of Beelzebul. We're not convinced. I don't know who he is. And here's what would be helpful. If Jesus would just give us some more evidence. I mean, this whole casting out demons thing, that's a cool party trick, but we need a little bit more. Right, if he give us some real evidence, uh, a sign from heaven, something so explicitly undeniable that he is from God, then we would believe. And so you think about the response to the miracle. Are you following? There's two responses. One is a response of complete antagonism. Ain't no way he's of God. There's people today that have that same response. Ain't no way he's of God. And then there's the response of skepticism. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he is, but maybe he is. Who knows? If I would just get some kind of really good sign, then maybe I'll believe. Those two attitudes, antagonism and skepticism, still pervade our world today. And so, so what happens in the next few verses is Jesus responds to this claim that he is of the enemy. You follow? And what we're going to find is that Jesus gives three illustrations, three parables, three little stories to help us understand exactly who he is. Now, let's just walk through these quickly. So bear with me. Look at what it says. You come down and it says this. Luke likes to tell us this over and over again. Knowing their thoughts, verse 17, he knows what they're thinking. Jesus told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? In other words, here's what's going on in that context. Uh, There were Jewish religious leaders and others who, who were claiming to cast out demons too. And Jesus is essentially saying, you would never say that those religious leaders and, and those others, that they're casting out demons in the name of Satan. You would say they're casting out demons in the name of God. Well, why would you say that I'm casting out demons in the name of Satan? Further, what Jesus says is that makes no sense. That's the point of this illustration that Jesus is saying to those gathered, listen, a house divided against itself will always fall. Satan is not going to war against himself. 
And if you're calling me uh, uh, one of the enemy, if you're saying that I am of the enemy, then you are saying that Satan has gone to war against himself. That's not logical. That makes no sense. And look what else, this is really interesting. You come down to verse 20. He says this, if I drive out demons by, now underline this phrase, this is so interesting, by the finger of God. How many times do you read that phrase in the Bible, the finger of God? Well, not very many. I can tell you one place where it's really significant. Back in the book of Exodus, you remember the story in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, you know that, that Moses and Pharaoh were going head to head. God has sent Moses into Egypt so that God would use Moses to let the Hebrews go and experience freedom. But Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go. And so you remember the story of a series of plagues and a plague comes, a plague of gnats. And, and, and all of Pharaoh's magicians, they couldn't replicate that particular plague. They couldn't get the gnats out. And, and, and so here was the conclusion. You can go back to Exodus 8, verse 19. Here was the conclusion. This is a work of the finger of God. In other words, in other words, uh, those magicians and Pharaoh, I mean, their hearts were hard, but they were still able to say, this is undeniably an act of God. And now Jesus here in Luke's gospel, he's saying, listen, the work I am doing, this casting out demons, this going to war against the enemy, it is of the finger of God. What I am doing is undeniably of God. And he goes on to say, and if this is true, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God, how many kingdoms are there? Two, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God is upon you. And that leads right into what he says next. You come to verse 21. Everybody still awake? When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. Now, who is the strong man? Well, you probably know this. In this context, the strong man is Satan. Satan is a strong man. I already gave you some scripture references that remind you that, that the scripture describes Satan as the ruler of this world. He is the ruler over darkness. He is a strong man. And he possesses people by blinding their eyes against the truth. Look at what Jesus says, verse 22. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. It's a very simple illustration, isn't it? This isn't rocket science to figure out. All Jesus is saying is what, church? I am far stronger than Satan. The stronger man has come to defeat the works of the darkness. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Look at what verse 23 says. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Now, come on, church. How many kingdoms are there? There are two. There are the king, there's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of God. That's it. And the point Jesus is making is that you're gonna choose one or the other. And if you choose to ignore Jesus, you've chosen the kingdom of this world. If you choose to reject Jesus, you've obviously chosen the kingdom of this world. What Jesus is getting us to in these stories is this reminder that, that there is no such thing as neutrality. You're either in or you're out. You're not Switzerland. None of us are, right? You're either in the kingdom of God or you're opposed to the kingdom of God in the kingdom of this world. But he's not done. Let me walk you through these next few verses. Now, these verses are really, really strange. Look at verse 24. If your neighbor has fallen asleep, hit him real quick and wake him back up. Look at what verse 24 says, but don't hit him hard. Verse 24, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through the waterless places looking for rest. 
and not finding rest, it then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Now that's strange. What in the world is Jesus talking about? I don't know, but I've got an idea, right? I think here's what Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is giving us insight in how the unseen realm works. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the reality. You are under the influence of the enemy and the the enemy works in various ways. And for some, and I think this is what Jesus is getting to, it's this idea that, that the enemy might influence someone and, and you see it. You see how that, that, that person is just in darkness and sin and it's just relentless in their lives. And then all of a sudden, it seems like that person gets better and it straightens their act up because that demonic influence might not be as strong as it was for whatever reason, right? The, the demonic has gone somewhere else. I know it's kind of weird, but just bear with me. But, but then what Jesus says, eventually it comes back. This time sevenfold, right? And, and demonizes that person again. And this time it's worse than it was before. I know all that's really strange, but I think this is the point that Jesus is getting to, right? If you are outside of Christ, this is what you're open to. If you're outside of Christ, the enemy is at work influencing and even demonizing people. And I think the point that Jesus is getting to, right? Is listen, there's only one way to have victory over the enemy. Only one way, not four ways, not five ways, not six ways. It's not going to you know, the bookstore and checking out a self-help book or seeing this or that. No, the only way to have victory over the demonic is what? Through faith in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, placing your faith in Jesus Christ and his victory, him living inside of you, empowering you to victory over the demonic. That's it. And so again, I think what Jesus is pointing us to in this story is this reminder that in Christ, there is Hope and outside of Christ, there is no hope. And you can't be neutral. You have to choose what side you're on. Now we're almost uh, done with this particular uh, uh, passage, but look what he goes on to say, or the Bible goes on to say, as Jesus was saying these things, verse 27, a woman from the crowd raised her voice, said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. Kind of like what Mary said in Luke chapter one, right? When, when you think about the Magnificat and, and she, she's praising God, blessed is my womb. This woman says, blessed is the womb of your mom. So it's high praise. She loves what Jesus is saying. But Jesus responds, verse 28, oh, hold on a minute. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who make that decisive decision to live in my kingdom. That's it. This is an interesting passage, but I think at the heart of this passage, what Jesus is telling us is you've got to choose. There's no neutrality. You've got to take a side, right? Now, now let's, let's take this a little bit further. Let, let's play a little game. That I think is going to help us to illustrate this. You ready? All right. I'm going to show you some pictures. Now I want you to think about your first reaction to these pictures, right? You don't have to say anything out loud. You hear me? Just think about your first reaction to these pictures, right? We'll start easy and we'll get harder. Think about this. All right. So, okay. Now you don't have to say anything. Like my first reaction is that's gross. I don't know why you would eat it, right? But that's, that's, let's, get, let's, let's go on. Like, okay, okay, that's first reaction. Mine is let's go after church and get one of these things, right? So that, first reaction, right? Let, let's, let's make it a little bit harder. First reaction. I told you you didn't have to say anything, right? 
My first reaction is the greatest dynasty to ever exist in college football. I don't know what yours is, but maybe something different. Okay, all right. Next, let's get a little bit harder. Okay, well, well I, I, I said don't say anything, right? My first reaction is they'll never win another national championship. That's another story for another day. All right, you ready? Now, you gotta be careful. It's gonna get a little bit harder. Ready? I, y'all aren't playing according to my rules. All right, one more, one more, one more. Okay, okay, okay. Again, you're not playing according to my rules. But here's my point. Here's my point, right? Every picture you see, you have a reaction. And here's reality. Here's what you did. And I knew you would do it because I know you. I knew you wouldn't stay silent in your reaction. I just knew it. I know, I know you well, right? Here's the point. You know why you had a reaction? Because your heart is not neutral. Right? In every area of life, you know what you're always doing? You're always choosing sides. It just seems to be the way we are, right? The way we're wired. Your heart is never neutral. Now, let's, let's talk to these three truths just real quick. Not only is your heart not neutral, but let's back up. This world is not neutral. Come on now. You understand that, don't you? You don't live in a neutral world. You live in a world that is influenced by whom? The enemy. And if this world is influenced by the enemy, if he really is the prince of the power of the air, if he is, right, if he is the prince over darkness, then you can jolly well be sure that this enemy is not neutral. He is influencing this world to be against Christ. That's a fact. And so now watch this. This is how this plays out. The enemy will use the antagonist. Remember the story? The antagonist? Jesus is of the enemy. Watch. The enemy will use the antagonist to tell you that the things of God are evil and the things of this world are righteous. Do you not see that happening before you right now? Right? Believe in God? That's so oppressive. Have you read the scripture? Do you see how the Bible mistreats women? Right? Do you see how the, the Bible has this sexual ethic that's hate-filled, right? Do you see how, how God doesn't seem to care about people who are suffering? Now, this God that you show up and worship every Sunday, the world would tell you this God is, is evil. And not only is he evil, I mean, why do you go to the church? Because the church is evil too. Look at all the bad the church has done throughout history. Now, come on now, let's be honest. We, we haven't always gotten it right because we're, we're sinful. I get that. But look at all the bad, look how oppressive the church is. Look, look at how, 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 how hateful the church is, right? And so what this world does, this world wants you to believe the lie that God is evil and the bride of Christ is evil. But neither of those things are true. God is good. We sang about that earlier. And his bride, while, while, while we have our sinful ways for sure, is being sanctified by Jesus Christ and the bride of Christ. Now, come on, is the salt and light of the earth. So don't believe the lie because the world will tell you that the enemy, right, will tell you that the things of God are evil and the things of this world are righteous. What this, come on now, what this world is telling you right now is what? Here's what's good. What's good and what's right is the individual. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. 
That's what's good. Let's celebrate whoever you want to be, right? Whatever you want to do with your life, however you want to live it, regardless of, 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 of moral standards, regardless of what God says, regardless of what others might say, you be you. You live the life that you want to live and we will celebrate that. You see what I'm saying? And so the way of the enemy is to cause you to think that God is evil and, and, and people doing what's right in their own eyes is righteous. It's antagonism. Think about this. The enemy will use skepticism to keep you asking, but never embracing Christ as Lord. Because here's what happens. You're not neutral. I'm not neutral. And we, we hear the lie of the enemy, and then we begin to ask the questions. Well, maybe it's right. Maybe God is evil. Maybe the church is oppressive. Uh, maybe, maybe the right way is to just do what I want and, and have everybody celebrate me living out my truth. And, and, and so then we get skeptical. Now, and then we begin to ask the question, well, if God were really God, wouldn't he prove it in some big way? And you see what I'm saying? All I'm telling you is that the world that you live in is not neutral. There is an enemy that is actively opposed to things of God. Now watch this, watch this. The world is not neutral and you are not neutral. Look, your heart is not neutral. You will choose a kingdom to align with. How many kingdoms are there? There's two. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. Now here's reality. I, I know I'm, I'm in some ways preaching to the choir this morning that, that in this room, I think I'm safe to say that most of us in this room, we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we would, we would exuberantly say, I'm a part of the kingdom of God and, and, and amen. I believe that. I believe that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But now watch, even as a child of God, your heart is prone to wander. That's a fact. You see what I'm saying? Because you still live in a sinful body and your mind is still influenced by the thoughts and philosophies of this world. And you know far too many stories of people who are faithful in their walk with Jesus who just drifted away because the enemy used the lies of this world to persuade them away from the truth of God's word. You've seen it happen in the lives of individuals. You've seen it happen in churches. Now, I hesitate to use this example, but I think it proves my point. I don't know if you saw this or not uh, in the, the news over the last few weeks, but there was this church, and I'm not gonna name the church or name the pastor or anything like that, uh, but, but, but out West, it, they, they in their church service recited what they called the Sparkle Creed. Did you hear this? If you heard this, this is not news to you. If you didn't, this is news to you, but listen to what it says. This, these are not my words. These are the words of a church out West. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who has a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. Can I just remind you that is far from the truth of God's word. This is not how the scripture presents our God to us. What happened? I can tell you what happened. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over time. Over time, there have been churches and 
and believers in this land, but not only in this land, all across the world, who slowly drifted away from truth because of what? Because the world is not neutral and the influence of the enemy got a hold of that person or that congregation. Now, before we get on our high horse and say, whoa, that, that's wild. Yes, it is wild. Before we get on our high horse and judge people, your heart's not neutral either. And we, we hear a statement like that and, and we should be righteously angered. But for some of us, it's not righteous anger, it's downright hatred. You hate that agenda and you hate people who are involved in that agenda. You hate, you hate, you hate. You know what that is? That is the influence of the enemy in your life. You see what I'm saying? You're being discipled in the ways of this world because the ways of this world teaches you to hate. Don't think that hatred is of God, it's not. That's not kingdom of God, that's kingdom of this world. So before you get on your high horse, just back off a minute. If you're responding to things like that in pure hatred, that's demonic. Well, come on now. We wanna point fingers, that agenda is so bad. But yet while we point fingers at that agenda that's so bad, come on now. There are some of us in this room who spent the last month looking at pornography over and over and over again, right? And you've justified it. Well, if my, my spouse would just meet my needs or if I weren't single, don't believe those lies, it's demonic. You've been, you've been discipled in the ways of the world. And before you get on your theological high horse and point people who are struggling with that kind of stuff, there's some of this room who, who this past month, all you've done is scream at your spouse and your kids, angry all the time because you ain't getting what you wanna get from them. That's demonic too. That's the influence of the enemy. You see what I'm saying? You can pick your high horse to get on. But the reality is every one of us, every one of us, every one of us are prone to wander. And every one of us, if we're real honest, are far too much influenced by the things of this world and the enemy. This world is not neutral. Your heart is not neutral. So then in the five or six minutes I have left, what in the world do you do? Well, it's so easy, but it's what we struggle with. You must choose daily the direction of your heart. That's Luke 9, 23. This call to discipleship that Jesus calls us to in Luke 9, to take up your cross, deny yourself and daily follow him. Uh, that's Galatians 5, that's Ephesians 4, right? Putting on the new man, putting on the fruit of the spirit. That's what it is. And so, so just a couple of things and we're done. One, you and I need to be very aware of who or what influences us most. Now, now here's the question, and, and, and listen, I'm not trying to berate you. I'm trying to be as, as grace-filled as I possibly can with this, but it's a legitimate, uh, to-the-point question that you and I need to ask ourselves. Honestly, come on now, honestly, how much are you really influenced by the Word of God? Right? Because here's what I know, here's what I know. Every single day, there are hundreds of voices screaming at you. Every single day, there are hundreds of voices trying to influence you to think a certain way about life. Whether it's on social media, whether it's on that show you binge watch on Netflix, whether it's Fox News or CNN or the people you work with or whatever the case may be. Every single day, there are hundreds of voices trying to influence you to think the way that they think. And at the end of the day, church, come on now, there's only 
only one voice that matters and only one voice that gives life. And it's not the, the voice of Sean Hannity. It's not the voice of any other favorite commentator. It's not the voice of your favorite Netflix show. It's not the voice of your favorite Facebook feed. No, it's the voice of Christ that gives life. And this voice of Christ that gives life is oftentimes the voice that gets the, mo- that gets the least amount of attention from us. No wonder our lives are so open to the influence of the kingdom of this world when we won't even listen to our king. You see? And so, so, so be very deliberate to choose to set your mind on things above. I think this is why Paul pleads with us over and over again in places like Colossians 3.1. Come on, set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Or think about Romans 12.1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but what church? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Or my, one of my favorite verses, Philippians 4.8. Find me, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commended, any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Listen, here's the reality, okay? What I don't want to be is that legalistic preacher that, you know, just throws smoke at everything. That's not the intention here. But here's what I know. You're an adult. I'm an adult. You can choose to be influenced by whatever you want to choose yourself to be influenced by. That's on you, Right? If it is that, that social media feed, if it is binge-watching that next Netflix show, if it's you know, the latest hot take on, on the news channel or if it's those friends that you work with, you can choose the influences in your life. You can, right? But those influences you choose will shape you. They will shape the way you think. They will shape the way you act. They will shape the choices that you make. And those influences, if you're not careful, you know this all too well because I know it too, those influences will gradually and slowly take you away from the voice of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm not saying you're gonna lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, be careful. Be careful. Yes, you are a child of God if you've placed your faith and trust in him. Yes and amen. But that does not for one second mean that your heart is neutral. It does not for one second mean that there's still not an enemy that's seeking to devour. Be careful. And I would just challenge you. The, the, the things that influence you, are they the kinds of things that you see right here in Philippians 4, 8? The things that you allow in your home, the things that you allow before your eyes, the things that you allow in your ears, the conversations you allow yourself to be a part of, do they reflect Philippians 4, 8? Do they help you to set your mind on things above? This is why this is so important week in and week out. This is why your discipleship group and your life connection group and all these places where we're doing Bible study and discipleship is so important because you constantly need the voice of God poured into your life. Do you see? Because there is a real enemy. And so if you think about the, the, the influences, do they reflect what you see in Philippians 4, 8 when I look at this list? It's true honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any moral excellence and praiseworthy, dwell on these things. I can't help but look at this list and think of Jesus. He is true. Jesus is honorable. 
Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is commendable. Jesus is the epitome of moral excellence. And Jesus, he alone is praiseworthy. My, my heart and mind, they need to dwell on my King of kings and Lord of lords who came and lived the life that I could not live, who died the death that I deserved and rose again from the dead three days later so that all of my sins could be forgiven and I could be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, so I could be forever with him because of his gracious work in my life. My friend, if you've never placed your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, today is the day to believe that he is the one, that his voice is the only voice at the end of the day that matters, to believe that he did something for you, to secure for you an eternal life with him. Because here's the reality. The kingdom of God will last forever. The kingdom of this world will not. If you're aligning yourself with the kingdom of this world, you've chosen the wrong kingdom. You've chosen a kingdom that's already defeated. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're gonna have a time invitation. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. If today you wanna place your faith in Jesus Christ, go to one of those two crosses. Somebody will be there ready to pray with you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus to help you experience salvation. If you're watching online, you see a number on the screen, text the name Jesus to that number. We'll reach out to you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus because today we want you to turn from your sins, to repent and give your life to Jesus, trusting him as Lord of your life so you can experience eternity with him and life abundant in the now. Maybe you're in this room and you're like me, you're a follower of Jesus, but you know like I know that your heart is prone to wander. And maybe as a follower of Jesus, what you've done in your life for the last six months, last year is a wandering heart. You have been way too influenced by the things of this world. And it's time to realign yourself with the kingdom of God, to set your mind back on the things above. And so this morning in this room, maybe for you, it's just a call to repentance, to ask God to forgive you and to help you, to put you around people who love you and care about you, who will help you to to grow in Christ's likeness, to think the thoughts of God and to live like Christ. This morning, repent, turn back to him. However the Spirit of God is at work in your life this morning, you respond in obedience. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you uh, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the King who reigns and your kingdom is not of this world. It's better than this world. I pray all across this room, there'll be people who today give their lives to Jesus for the very first time. And Father, for those in this room who've never, those in this room who've never placed their faith in Christ, I pray that there'll be a day of salvation. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, I pray that there'll be a day of repentance. We know far too well what influences us. And we know far too well how we have a tendency to ignore the voice of Christ. Father, would you please do a work of grace in us and realign our hearts with our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.